Good morning again, Mendocino County and beyond. This is Johanna Wild Oak, and I bring you this program, Wild Oak Living, every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. It's all about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Annie Liner, who is the Executive Director of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund. Um, this is an organization that's been in operation in our county for 30 years, and we're going to hear about what has made it possible for them to be around for this long and to do all the amazing work that they do for children and families in our county. We're also going to be talking about something uh, not so pleasant, um, and that is that they've had they've been the victims of a break-in, a break-in and a robbery, and we're going to be talking about that and also about what people can do to help uh, make this organization whole so that they can continue the wonderful work that they've been doing. So before... So and so, bef uh, but before we go uh, and talk in detail about that, um, I would like to first welcome you, Annie Liner. Thank you for being back on Wild Oak Living. Oops, hold on a second. I got to turn your audio up. Here we go. Okay. Good morning. It's a delight to be here. It's been a while. We we had we had a couple programs during the pandemic. And, uh, and, and, uh, I thought this would be a good time to have you back and talk about the work that you do and also talk as, as, as I mentioned earlier about what people can do to help out, um, to, uh, and we'll talk about that in more detail. Let's start out by, by finding out, um, a little bit about the history of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund. The Mendocino Coast Children's Fund was started in 1992 by a very dynamic member of the community, Bobby Markell, who was a writer and a poet and an activist. She read an article, actually an advertisement in a woman's magazine about Feed the Children, and it was a picture of a child that was obviously not well-nourished with a bowl of rice and... Um, the ad was asking people to donate money to feed this child. And it touched her very deeply, and she started thinking about the fact that if this was happening globally, it was also happening locally. And she contacted some friends that work for Child Protective Services and in different areas of the county and found out that, yes, in fact, there was a lot of poverty on the coast, although it was pretty well hidden. It wasn't the ocean view houses that people initially saw, but the trailers where housekeepers and cooks and different gardeners and people were living, uh, cabins that didn't have utilities, uh, just difficult circumstances. She arranged to do a poetry reading at the Art Center, and she had friends bake cookies. So the Children's Fund has always been intimately involved with distributing cookies to people and information. And she started with what I call a kitchen wisdom group. It was a group of friends. Uh, who lived locally, who wanted to make a difference. And they very wisely set down some rules. And the first rule was, was that they would not put on events. The second rule was, was that they would stay local. They would not try and grow and become so large that they were trying to manage communities that were miles and miles and miles away. And so they set their boundaries from Rockport to Guala which is basically most of the 4th and the 5th district. And the school districts that are 
Fort Bragg, Mendocino, Manchester, Point Arena, and Arena Union. And we have stayed within those boundaries for the last 30 years, with the exception of when there is a disaster in our neighboring community, of course, we reach out to help. Because children don't pick their zip codes, and children don't pick their school district, and children don't pick their trauma. And we feel that it's critically important to always be sensitive to and aware of the fact that at any time in our county, any of our communities could have an earthquake, could have a fire, could have a pandemic, could have a tidal wave, could have a circumstance that requires us reaching out a little further. So we have been in operation for 30 years. We keep ourselves in the beneficiary role. We're always delighted when a small group of people want to have a birthday party and buy gifts for children and share those gifts with us or want to have uh, dinner together and um, set a place for the children's son at their table and all donate money and then mail us that money. But for the most part, we don't do events because it's exhausting and most of us are pretty shy. And so um, it's just... I can relate we to try, that. <laughs> we, we try and stay true to our nature. We have some wonderfully uh, creative people in this community who have done some wonderful events for us, and we really appreciate that. Um, and we have, up until when COVID struck, we had been an all-volunteer organization. So for 30 years, we were all-volunteer. And then this last... Uh, 2021 we went to a paid model and we hired our first community uh, family resource specialist and that is Juliana Sanchez and Juliana works for us full-time doing case management and community education reaching out to our other partners and making sure that they are aware of resources for their clients whether it's hospitality house or project sanctuary or the clinics or the school district or um, one of we have 75 different partners we focus on catching the things that other people are not able to catch so we had a lot of experience when the pandemic started we have been doing disaster response work for several years we started with the first fires that happened in lake county in 2015 and every year since, since we have had fires that have impacted Mendocino County either directly or because we have become the recipients of people evacuating from other communities and coming west to get away from the smoke. And so we started working very closely with um, Office of Emergency Services and the fire departments and the Red Cross and different neighborhood groups that are preparing for disaster. And we started distributing uh, sleeping bags and tents and um, more recently masks across the county to make sure that resources were in place so that if people were isolated and needed help they would have the resources right there in elk or right there in casper or right there in westport and um so we have the experience of having done wildfire wildfire response and so when COVID started we just expanded what we were doing and um, we have been working, we have never closed our doors. We have been working solidly ever since. And um, reimagining and recreating who we are almost on a weekly basis, depending on uh, the intensity of what is going on. It requires a, 
a lot of flexibility. Do you think that that's one of the, the, the secrets of your success of having been able to do this work for 30 years is that you continue, you have an organizational structure or, or maybe not non-structure that allows you to continue to reinvent yourself as, as the needs change? I think that in a sense we're an improv group. Hmm. And, um, and we, we consider ourselves first responders in the sense that we are responding to the unmet needs of families. And families include everything from pregnant moms to newborns to toddlers to students that are K through 12, teenagers, their parents and their grandparents, because we have multi-generational families in our community where very often, and fortunately, families are living where grandma is watching her grandchildren so that her children can go to work and be part of the workforce or an aunt or an uncle is stepping in and helping with child care or um, a neighbor is helping and so uh, we try and do everything that we can to make sure that everyone in the family is served because the stronger the family structure the healthier it is for the children in that family. I guess you've already you've already sort of uh, provided at least a partial answer to my next question, which is what makes you what makes you different from other nonprofits. I guess that 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 ability to reinvent yourself is probably one characteristic. Well, another part of it is is we support the other nonprofits. Mm. We ha we have given millions of dollars to other organizations on the coast that we have raised and then redistributed so that um, smaller micro-organizations that don't have the capacity to fundraise uh, with the impact that we're able to can benefit. For instance, we give money to Community Center of Mendocino for the after-school program and for their summer camp program. We give money to Nature Day Camp so that children can have scholarships to attend that program. We distribute swim passes so that children who might not have an opportunity to go to CB store can receive swim passes through their school uh, counselors. We work closely with Project Sanctuary. We work closely with Hospitality House. We work closely with the food bank. And so, in a sense, we're sort of a community chest. And um, our goal is to strengthen our partners Our goal is to put ourselves out of business, actually. That would be the best thing of all, to get to a place where everybody was so self-sufficient that they wouldn't need our help. But we see part of being a good neighbor is making sure that our neighbors have the strength and the resources that they need. And that's different. Most nonprofits are not writing grants to their colleagues. They're, because we had no, uh, we've been very cheap. We, we've had no expenses virtually for many, many years. We operated out of our houses. Uh, we always reserved money for when we knew a disaster would happen. It wasn't a question of if. We knew it would happen. We knew that we would have to scale up. And so when we start a program for children, we're putting three to five years' worth of money in the bank to make sure that if we send a child to camp, we can send them for three to five years that we're not going to say next year, oh, we don't have the money and you can't have this experience again. Mm -hmm. So once we make a commitment, it's a pretty long-term commitment. And we're always hoping for the best and planning for the worst. And we've been fortunate in that we have had some really generous uh, um, legacy donations from people who have died, who have left us money in their trust that allows us to... Uh, 
know that we have enough funds on hand that we don't have to wait for the money to provide the service. We can do the work and the money will follow. So that's sort of unique also. We're sort of the antithesis of most nonprofits. Most nonprofits depend on grants and their mission is determined by the grant that they receive. And we wanted to make sure that we belong to the community and that the community sets the priorities, that we are not uh, changing our identity or our focus depending on where the money is in Washington or Sacramento. So again, we're very grassroots. We're based on the idea that before we had social services and before we had social security, we had neighborhood lodges. We had community groups that took care of each other, widow and orphan kinds of organizations. We had a Finnish lodge, we had a Portuguese lodge, we had an Italian lodge. If you came from an area of Europe and migrated to the United States, very often the ways of taking care of each other migrated with your community. And we believe that community solutions very often are more efficient, more accountable, and uh, more effective. And so we are holding on to that as part of our vision of ourselves. Do you think that that, that, that community spirit has become more of a challenge and has become less of a familiar concept for for uh, re more recent generations that have not known, you know, how people took care of each other before, as you said, Social Security and other things came along? Yeah, I, I think that um, we have seen a huge shift in uh, who takes responsibility for each other. And for, you know, I'm going to be 77 in July. And so I was born just at the end of World War II. And my mom raised three kids on her own, and there was no benefits. There was no welfare. There was no food stamps. There was no rental assistance. There was no aid. It was basically your family structure and your neighborhood determined how much support you had. And for me, this is a very lived experience and for younger generations it's not but i do know that regardless how you give something to a child is more important than what you give and if you give resources to a child in a way that is shaming or blaming or demeaning or disrespectful you're not really helping them you're just adding to the trauma of being judged based on some artificial economic variable that a child has no control over. And so we're very careful to be in the background. We want, when children receive something, we want them to feel like it came from their family, it came from their teacher, it came from their own effort. Um, we never use pictures of our children. We never ask children to write us thank you letters. We never ask parents to thank us. That is not why we're doing this. For children to have a healthy, resilient childhood, they need to live in a healthy, resilient community. And the pleasure and the satisfaction and the joy that people get from being a part of the children's fund is the reward. And we find that young children very much want to be involved with us. They love being in a position of giving back. Kids will work very, very hard for us. Uh, they will 
stuff envelopes, they will sweep our sidewalks, they will empty our trash, they will do anything they can to help each other. And we really want to um, encourage that. We think those are really good values for children to have. Yeah. Let me take a moment to reintroduce you. You are listening to Wild Oak Living, the program about living sustainably and building community here on KZYX. I bring this, I'm Johanna Waldeck, and I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. Today, my guest is Annie Liner. She's the executive director of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, and we are talking about the history and mission uh, of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund. And now we're going to talk uh, a bit about uh, some some recent things that have happened that have provided a, a challenge um, and uh, we'll continue our, our conversation and uh, time permitting we will uh, Annie if you're okay with that we could take a few calls at uh, to in the latter part sure. of the program great okay all right well let's talk about uh, one of the sort of topical reasons why we're talking today specifically and that is that the uh, recent break-in and robbery that you have experienced can you talk a bit about about what happened and how this has impacted you as an organization? I, I can. It's It's been um, a pretty traumatic experience. I think, uh, if anything, it has expanded our compassion and our understanding for our clients who come to us and say, my home was broken into, my mail was stolen, um, my social security check uh, or my a credit card that I ordered or a CalFresh card or a benefit that I was expecting is gone because someone went through my mailbox and now I don't have the resources that I need to take care of my family or my tools were stolen or my truck was broken into and I can't drive until I get the side view mirror replaced. Um, it was a shocking experience. We have storage lockers at a private storage rental unit and um, lots of people know that we're there because they meet us there to get resources for kids. We'll meet them there to hand them a, a car seat or to hand them a uh, sweatshirt for their child or uh, arts and crafts supplies or whatever the item might be that they need. And um, we have a lot of drug use in our community, like the rest of the county, the rest of the state, the rest of the country. And there are not enough mental health or behavioral health uh, assets available to help everybody that needs help with those challenges. And when people are suffering the way they are with this pandemic, you see drug use go up. And so apparently someone thought it was a good idea to uh, help themselves to our assets. And they knew where they were and they very deftly broke in and I just recently, yesterday, finished an inventory for the district attorney's office, and it was close to $17,000 in resources that we lost. And it was hard in a lot of ways because it happened at a time when we're particularly busy. Um, it happened at a time when we already were working 60, 70 hours a week trying to get things to children. And um, now we have to figure out a way to have more secure storage, and we have to find out how to set up video cameras and uh, surveillance, which is something that, you know, we came from them for many, many years. I never locked the, the door to my house. You know, it's, it's we come from a very trusting community. I think that's true for most of us across the county. 
And so this was sort of a wake-up call. And at the same time, it's an opportunity because we really did need to look for more secure storage. We are going to be able to replace the assets that were lost. Um, but we have to find more secure storage first. That is really the key because we don't want this to happen again. So if anybody who is listening happens to have a storefront that they would like to share with us or an empty office building that they would like to share with us or a garage or they know of a suitable uh, commercial space that is along the coast, we certainly would love to hear from you. And um, just like housing, storage space is really at a premium. So that's going to be a bit of a challenge. We deal with very, very large quantities. We've had people say, can I go buy a backpack or can I go buy a sweatshirt? Can we, I buy some socks? We really appreciate that. I mean, it is so touching. I've been in tears for the last two weeks just with gratitude for the calls that we have gotten. But we're talking about pallets. We're talking about 300 sleeping bags at a time, 400 backpacks, you know, dozens of, of cases of art supplies. And it's not efficient for us to replace things one-on-one. -on -one. It's just we just don't have the people power to be able to do that. However, what would be extremely helpful for us would be if people could mail us gift cards and we can receipt you for charity for those gift cards. And gift cards of particular value to us right now are gas cards because we have all kinds of families that need to get to specialists out of the area for medical support. And they don't have the gas money to get to Ukiah, to get to Santa Rosa, to get to Benioff, UCSF, to get to Children's Hospital, to get to Stanford. We have no specialists within the county for pediatric services. So anytime a child has an assessment that requires a higher level of focus, that child has to travel from the coast at a minimum to Ukiah and very often 200 miles round trip to Santa Rosa, almost 300 miles to the Bay Area, might be several trips. That's $6 a gallon. You can see how that really becomes difficult for families. And we are the only uh, nonprofit that is providing uh, medical mileage for pediatric situations and for caretakers of children at this point, with very few exceptions. And so um, that would be very, very helpful. Maybe this would be a good time to offer your contact information and how people can get in touch, let's say, if they would like to offer gas cards. Um, our mailing address, just for mail only, is Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, which is shortened for most people to MCCF, Post Office Box 1616, Mendocino, 95460. And we're easy to find on the web. If you just type in Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, we'll pop up right at the top of your search. Uh, if you just type in uh, www.mccf.info, that will also bring you to our webpage. And people can donate online through their credit card or through PayPal. People can mail us a check. Um, we're hoping that people that are in a position to help without hurting their own financial circumstances will consider 
helping a child through the summer. Um, we have a commitment of $60,000 that we have made for summer recreation to make sure that every child who wants to get outside can safely get outside and be part of a soccer team, a um, summer camp, circus arts, uh, be going to play softball, be playing baseball. We really feel it's critically important that children have safe space where they can do the work of being children which is to play and to learn how to be with each other again socially in appropriate ways. We know that at the age of 9 to 10, children are making a choice between sports and gangs, and we really want to make sure that what they're choosing is collaborative play, team sports, where they have models for leadership, where they have an ability to develop their skills and their sense of competency and collaboration. This is critically important. And we're going into our third summer where children have not had access to appropriate uh, interaction with each other. And the trauma that children have been going through with the vulnerability of the virus, with their worry that they're going to get their parents sick or that their grandmother might die, the tragedy that has just happened in Texas with the shooting this is a tremendous amount of trauma for children. And children process trauma well when they're supported, or if they are not well supported, it can have lifetime impacts. And we are doing everything we can to make sure that we have good outcomes here for kids and for families. And that impacts all of us as a community. One of the things that you mentioned in in the information that you shared with me in preparation for this program is the Im importance uh, of, of car seats for foster parents or for people who find themselves in situations where they suddenly are taking care of a child and they don't have a car seat? Um, by law, you are not able to transport a child under the age of eight without a car seat. Car seats are very expensive. They're about $150 a piece. And uh, they're because of COVID, because of supply chain issues, because of a lack of staffing, and a lack of grant money, there's been a real shortage of car seats. The Children's Center has been buying car seats. This is normally something that is done at the county or the state level. But again, there's not enough people that are trained. We're working very closely with the Fort Bragg Police Department. They do the installation. They're just absolutely wonderful. They help us in so many ways. Their young community service officers are just spectacular. We have to have car seats on hand because if there's a medical emergency and mom has COVID, grandma needs to have a car seat so that she can take over managing the children. Very often a family only has one car, one or two car seats, all of a sudden another family member has to step in and the car is in San Francisco with the car seat. The child is still here in Fort Bragg. And so we have always had car seats on hand. But right now, this is really a critical need. And we're hoping that by uh, July, the flow of money from the county and the way grants are distributed will make more car seats available. But even when they're at the police department, there isn't always access. So very often, the police department is calling us and saying, Annie, uh, Juliana, we need a car seat right now because we have this situation and we need to take care of this family or we'll get a call from the hospital, or we'll get a call from Hospitality House, or 
from Project Sanctuary or the food bank. And so uh, we're basically an underground railroad. We move resources from one place to the next and moving children safely and making sure that they're in safe uh, transportation situations is important. It, I mean the, the list. The list of. Um, by the way, I think it's time to introduce you again. Uh, it's been another fifteen minutes since I did that last, and I try to do it every fifteen minutes because people come and go. And so I'd like to let you know you are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I'm bringing you this program about living sustainably and building community every other Thursday from nine to ten a.m. And today, my guest for the hour is Annie Liner. She's the executive director of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, and we are talking about the work of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, and we're specifically also right now talking about how you can help support the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund in general, but also in in response to the unfortunate and sad uh, break-in and robbery that the organization has experienced recently. You know, I, I said this um, in in previous uh, interviews that we've done a while back. It's just so amazing the list of needs and the lists of things that you do. I mean, you've mentioned things like car seats, sleeping bags, backpacks, gas money, that kind of thing. But that's that's only a very small fraction of the long list of, of services and things that you provide. You know, summer, you mentioned summer camps, but, you know, there's also toys, clothing, shoes, underwear, books, hygiene items, disaster supplies. I'm just reading, you know, excerpts from a list um, uh, it, it, it's just amazing um, what you do. And I just want to, you know, you, we've talked about it a little bit, but maybe talk a little bit more about what are your greatest needs right now? You mentioned gas cards. Um, we found ourselves in a situation in November, early December, where we were notified that Safe Passage Family Resource Center was closing, that their nonprofit was closing their doors. And they asked us to take over providing that very vital service to the community. We had underwritten Safe Passage for 25 years. We probably had given them more money than any other organization that we worked with, uh, either in in-kind things or camp scholarships or, you know, um, gift cards for food, for gas, all the things that we've sort of grown up to do. And we realized we couldn't say no that it was going to be such a huge gap for our families not to have an organization where they could go to for navigation to help them get help with rent, help them get help with applying for food stamps. You have to understand that for many of our families, they are not computer literate. They do not have access to the internet. They, it's easy fairly easy, relatively easy, not even so easy, but it's easier to get services if you have a smartphone, if you have a computer, if you understand how to enter enter information on an app, if you your spelling is proficient, if you have the literacy skills. But if you're a grandmother that was raised in Mexico with a third grade education, having those skills very often is beyond you. You could be very, very bright and very, very responsible, but it doesn't mean that you are going to be proficient in technology. Or if you have had a stroke and you're raising grandchildren, or if you are a disabled young mother who's had a brain injury, and or if you are someone who has had a traumatic brain injury from drug use, 
you can be using 150% of the 80% that you have, but you may not have the capacity to be able to use technology to help you. And so we have a lot of people who need services who are not able to get through those processes. And we spend a huge amount of time helping people fill out applications, making phone calls, driving them to appointments, making sure that they have a map if they have to go see a doctor. A lot of them have never left the community before. They've never been to the Bay Area. They don't know about parking garages. They don't know about large medical facilities. These things can be daunting mm -hmm. for families. And we're seeing it at all age levels. We're seeing people fall through what we used to call the cracks is now the Grand Canyon. And so we're providing services, not just to children and families, but to the whole community, because we have to keep the whole community healthy. And, you know, the more impact these health concerns have, the more at risk we all are. We all know that our hospital situation is overburdened, understaffed, that from day to day, you may or you may not be able to get an appointment that they are inventing it as they go along. We do everything we can to try and support medical and health providers at the clinic and at the hospitals and at the private medical facilities. Um, but it's really hard right now. It's really hard. And almost three years into it, we're all very fatigued. Yeah. Uh, there's a, It's like dancing in quicksand. That's how I describe it. And so just to bring people's anxiety level down, the fact that they're talking to a real person, they can see our face. We can make eye contact with them. We can meet them at their home. We can meet them at their driveway. We can meet them out on our deck because we have to meet people safely. There's only two of us working full time and volunteers, and I can't put myself or my community resource coordinator or my volunteers at risk for COVID. Ethically, I can't do it. And at the same time, we have to be available to people. So we are using FaceTime, we're using phones, we're using email, we're meeting with people. And that brings up our next goal. Our next goal is to have a mobile van so that we can bring services to the people rather than expecting people to come to us. If you do not have gas money, if you do not have childcare, if you do not have money for food, Asking someone to take off work from the three jobs that they have, trying to sustain their family, to make an appointment with us is not realistic. We have to go to where people are, and we have to bring our computers and our laptops and our resources to them. And then when we're back online, we can upload those applications for them. And this has been a problem for years and years and years in our county that we have large rural areas with people that are underserved we know how to serve them we really have a phd in taking care of people and we need to design the delivery system to match the need rather than asking the need to match the delivery system so we have a huge goal ahead of us of uh trying to get some grants and some funding hopefully mainly from private sources because we don't want to have to uh, be so restricted in how we use this that we're not effective and um our goal is to get a van and to have it equipped with solar and to be able to charge our technology right on the road be able to have partners from different agencies ride along with us and out with us to elk to country to westport 
uh, to Isle of Wild, to different areas, and bring public health with us, bring safety officers with us, bring wildfire specialists with us, bring um, people from the senior center with us, people that are specialists and have resources to, so we can do trainings, like a pop-up bookmobile, show up in a community and say, we're going to be in your community every third Thursday. We're bringing these resources for you. Please come meet with us. So that's our dream. That's our goal. We're going to make it happen with the community's help. And speaking of which, uh, let's 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 take this moment to again share your your website and your contact information. It's the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund. You can shorten that to M C C F as in Frank. It's Post Office Box One Six One Six, Mendocino Nine Five Four Six Zero. And your website, mccf.info? Or www.mccf.info. Okay, great. And if you use search with Google or Safari or whatever your browser is, if you just type in Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, we will pop right to the top of your page. You mentioned volunteers before. I'd, I'd like to spend just a couple more minutes talking about your volunteers, the roles that they play. Who, who are your volunteers? Well... You know, it's really interesting. We have been doing um, what is called community policing for several years with our local peace officers and fire departments. Uh, we started using the fire firehouse many, many years ago to uh, distribute toys. And we started working with Noyo Coast Guard because the Toys for Tots program, which we now run on this side of the county because... It is too risky for the Coast Guard to be delivering toys to children because if they come down with COVID, then they can't fulfill their mission. But our Coasties drive over to Ukiah and pick up all our toys for us. And, you know, are the ones that are loading and unloading our... We have storage containers with disaster supplies. Uh, they're doing all the loading and unloading. You know, we're little old ladies for the most part. And these young, amazing, wonderful people that are, you know, ambulance drivers and they are working as volunteer firemen and they are working as peace officers and they're working as Coast Guard. They love helping families and they love being the first one to say, can we put furniture together for you? Oh, Juliana, you need a refrigerator moved? I'll be there at my lunch hour. Oh, Annie, you need a washer and dryer moved from Albion to Port Bragg? I'll be there Saturday with my truck. They're just amazing. And so they do a tremendous amount of sharing information about the Children's Fund with the community. And um, it's good for them and it's good for us and it really feels rather wonderful. And we also have volunteers from a motorcycle gang that, you know, are the first to line up to help with distributing toys and raising money for us. And um, they've just been absolutely fabulous. We work with service clubs. We work with Rotary, and we work with um, the Lions Club, and we work with Seroptimus. We work with church groups. Um, we work with a group of women who play poker, who basically give their table winnings to us. I mean, it's just amazing. Any way that people want to help, we can find a spot to have people come in. We have women in their 80s that are knitting all year round, creating beautiful hats and blankets for kids. We have other people that are quilting. Um if you have a skill and you want to share it, let us know, and we will match you up. We're sort of a um, 
that's we're kind of I think of a Dewey Decimal system of okay, part three twenty seven point five. I know somebody who needs that skill set. You're a plumber, you're a carpenter, you're willing to help a senior with their garden, uh, you're able to walk somebody's dog who just broke their ankle. We will match you up. It's just that's what we do. We're community helping community. That sounds pretty amazing, Annie. I'm I'm really I'm really proud to live in a county where there is an organization like that that builds community because that's well that's why I do this program and it's that's why I'm so happy to have you talk about it. You know the other thing that we are working with is uh, we pay a lot of water bills for people that uh, you know because of the drought because of uh, needing water hauled. You know those things can throw a fixed income budget out of line very very quickly. And so, uh, you know, the Children's Fund is the community. It's not us. We have the honor of being the facilitators, but we belong to the community. And we only exist because the community believes in our mission. And, you know, we all at the end of the day are a little happier when we can help each other. It's, you know, probably one of the few things that we can do that makes us feel effective right now. Let's see. I think we've covered most of the things that I had on my list. What haven't I asked you about yet that I should ask you about? Um, one of the things you mentioned when when we connected earlier was was uh, you have you have some concerns about uh, you know about about community and about about the internet and the role that it plays. I don't know if we want to go there or not. Or yeah, I, I think it's important that. You know, I've had a lot of people asking me personally and asking our organization to take a stand on who is the better candidate for county superintendent or who is the better candidate for the 5th district race or who is a better candidate for the sheriff. And, you know, by law, we are a nonprofit and nonprofits are not allowed to endorse. Uh, there's very strict regulation about that. And... At a personal level, I don't think that people can make the distinction between Annie Liner, the personal private person making a recommendation, and the children's son. And so I purposely have taken a position of neutrality. Regardless of who gets elected, the children's son will have to work with that candidate to successfully serve children. And I know that there are some people that are annoyed that I have not been more forward about this, but I'm only one voice. We have 80,000 people in our county. I don't think that any of them need me telling them what their values should be. We have to make the tent big enough so that there is room for all of us. I am very, very concerned about the level of diatribe and meanness and judgment and anger that people are expressing to each other. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for children. It's not healthy for us as a community. And I'm really encouraging people to be thoughtful about how they use their words. Because the same person that you're con condemning is the person who's going to be the first one there to help you out of your burning car, or help you if you need an ambulance, or help you if someone breaks into your home. And I'm very concerned about the language that's being used about people that are serving us as peace officers and as health workers right now. I know that people are feeling very frustrated with the level of health care. And I know people are feeling very frustrated 
about many, many issues that have to do with community law enforcement. But please understand that the people that are going to work every day are your neighbors and your friends. Their kids are in the classrooms with you. They go to church with you. They're shopping at the same stores. They're babysitting. Their kids are on the same teams as you are. Please try and find some common ground. It's the only thing that we're going to get through this is to not allow mass media to define who we are. We can't allow Facebook to set our values. We're really going to damage each other in ways that are really, really painful. And so I'm encouraging everybody to, I don't want to be sophomore, but when I say be kind, it's critically important. It's critically important. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, that's what's been bringing me out to do this program for more than 20 years. Um, because if you listen only to sort of the headline news and, 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 uh, you know, what makes it to the top of the news, you, you'd think that you live in, in a, in a world that has mostly problems. But when I talk to you and other people who do wonderful things in our community and who offer solutions and to take care of each other, I know that that is also a huge part of our community. Uh, and and that you know we we like to hear about it and we like to see more of it and a lot of us like to make more of that happen and that's you know that's why I do this program is to provide uh, an opportunity for people like you and many others to talk about solutions and I think that's that's what you know that word solutions is 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 really important I think because. Um, you know, we can spend all day arguing with each other about what the problems are, but in the end, you know, we have to do something about it. I always say that still waters run deep. And very often the quietest people are the people that are doing the most meaningful work. Hmm. And um, it's hard not to get swept into the polarization that's going on in this country. It's hard not to be upset about so much inequity cost of housing, lack of access to medical care, um, artificial rules that keep people who are working very, very hard from getting resources that they need. We can only fix that internally. We are not going to have a huge impact at a political level. That's very clear to me. But we don't have to buy into passively being victimized by those systems. We can, as a community, in all of our communities across Mendocino County, work together to come up with solutions. And I would love to see a children's son in every single community. Nothing would make me happier. We do not want to become that. We want each community to create their own solution because we feel that the more miles you are away from a community, the less aware you are of the cultural needs and sensitivities that exist. What Covalo needs is different than Fort Bragg. What Point Arena needs is different than Mendocino. What Ukiah or Redwood Valley needs is best determined by people that are neighbors in those communities. And I really want to encourage everybody to think about ways within their own community that they can do micro projects or larger projects that allow kids to see that you can make a difference. Because you're giving children lifelong empowerment skills when you do that. Yes, and that's one of the other reasons I'm happy that you're here talking to us today, because I think what the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund has done for the last 30 years and how you do it can serve as a model for other communities. Yeah, we you know, would love to see Boonville and Hopland and um, 
you know, all of the smaller communities be able to, just like you have volunteer fire departments, have your own equivalent of the children's fund. We're glad to, to train. We're glad to share resources. We're glad to say, hey, this is what we did. We have 30 years worth of experience. We work closely with our other family resource centers. We work closely with organizations across the county. And, um, yeah, we want to give it away as much as we can. We, we, we really feel like that's the best thing that we could do. I'm wondering if you if you have maybe one or two stories that come to mind about you know how how you've how you've impacted a child's life or a family's life just you know I don't know I know there's probably hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands but I don't know I would just if you if something comes to mind you know I received a letter um well it was actually a Facebook message uh, from a young man who said. You may not remember, but when I was a child, I had no shoes. I was living um, in the back of my mother's truck with her boyfriend at the time, and I had no shoes. And you gave my mom a gift certificate for shoes, and it was the first time that I felt like I belonged. And... This young man grew up to be a very successful engineer and sent us a really very sweet, generous check and said, you may not know this, but you are touching so many children. And I just want to encourage you to keep going. I still have that letter on my desk. On hard days, I look at that letter. We have grandparents who have said to us, I may have raised my grandchildren, but you gave them a childhood. You provided camp, you provided shoes, you provided clothes, Christmas, birthday gifts. You made me feel like I could keep going when I was totally overwhelmed. I think that any family member who is raising a relative, you know, not necessarily their child, but raising a niece or a nephew or a grandchild, just has my highest respect I can't even imagine at my age starting all over raising my grandchildren. I mean, but we have many, many people in this community that are doing that. And I think that knowing that we're making a difference for those people, knowing that we're making life a little kinder for those children and for those extended family members, that's our reward. That's that's really what makes it worth getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about the show. <laughs> which I did last night. Um, yeah, so it's very rewarding. It's very satisfying to know that just a little bit of kindness, a little bit of focus, a little bit of support can really make a difference for a family. And when we have healthy families, we have a healthy community. The determination of whether a child is successful is the amount of equity be a community invests in their children, not financial equity, but support in terms of sports, tutorials, libraries, opportunities for kids to participate. That is the single most important determination of whether a child will be successful in school. And if a child is successful in school, they have a good chance of being successful in life. And so we want to do everything we can to keep kids enrolled in school, we want to do everything we can to support our teachers, and we want to do everything we can to support each other as we go through a 
pretty perilous time right now. This is a difficult time. We have wildfires coming. We have drought coming. We have another round of virus coming. Um, we really have to be there for each other to get through this. I was just going to say, I mean, the the need has been there all along, but I think maybe the level of resilience and endurance has been strained in the last couple of years because so many things are happening at the same time. I keep thinking it can't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> can't be careful with that. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, my biggest concern right now is mental health. My biggest concern is people that are very fragile, making bad decisions, mm -hmm. and either over overdosing on drugs, having a car accident that could have been avoided, um, using a weapon in an inappropriate way. I think we are, have to be very, very careful that Texas does not happen here. And that means not flaming anger and not polarizing things and trying to bring the temperature down and the support up for everybody in the community. And taking care of each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we have we have um, almost reached the end of the hour. Amazingly, we ran out of time to take phone calls, but I, I just didn't want to, you know, I wanted to take advantage of all the wonderful things that you have to talk about. Um, we have about a minute or two left, so let's offer the contact information again and any closing thoughts you might have. You can reach us by email, by sending an email to mccf at mcn.org that's the mendocino okay. coast children's fund mccf at mcn.org mm -hmm. you can reach us by phone by calling area code 707-937-6111 you can reach our amazing family resource specialist Juliana sanchez at our family resource center by calling 707-962-8111. 707-962-8111. You can reach Juliana directly by sending an email to community at mccf.info. Community at mccf.info. If she is busy with another client, she will get back to you within 24 hours, if not sooner. If she can't get back to you, she will tag me and I will get back to you. Please know that we hear you, we see you, we care about you. And we're going to be there for you. If you're a donor, we would love to hear from you. If you know of resources that might benefit kids, that would be fabulous. If you are a parent or a community member that knows of a child that has a need and you don't know how to direct that parent or that you might be a teacher, you might be a, a clinical social worker, you might be someone who is just a neighbor that has a concern about a family, reach out to us. We're very glad to connect you with the right people to talk to. And again, your phone number, just to repeat it, 707-937-6111. For Correct. Annie Liner, the Executive Director of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, thank you so much, Annie, for being on Wild Oak Living and for sharing all this wonderful information and for all the amazing work that you and all your volunteers do and supporters do. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All the best.
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.